So, anyways, I like it here. It's nice. Um, okay, I'll just start here. <laughs> Let me see. Make sure you're in frame. So maybe you can start just by introducing yourselves and maybe where we are and uh, what you do. Yeah. You go first. Uh, my name's Todd Gladfelder and my wife Cindy Ross and we're in uh, New Ringgold, Pennsylvania which is uh, north of Reading, east of Harrisburg along the Appalachians. There's a Schuylkill, Little Schuylkill River is nearby which is at the base of the mountain. So after Todd and I hiked the Appalachian Trail uh, 40 and 39 years ago we decided that we wanted to live near it because it was where we first fell in love with the natural world. So we used to live on the other side of the mountains under the volunteers in the National Parks Program where we ran a hostel on the Appalachian Trail and then would come over here and build our log house. So we wanted to live near, near the trail and live, live near the mountains and the river. Hmm. So this house behind you, you built yourselves? We went to log building school for 10 days. We, that was in Minnesota and then we spent um, four years and a lot of that we were it was part-time and uh, we went hiking one year for a whole summer so but it was a four-year project but that enabled us to build a, a log house it's not really a cabin it's a house and, uh, and it's for, tw for twenty thousand dollars that's a well the septic the electric everything so for instance we have like 40 40 uh, windows and only three of them are new which were skylights my uncle had a demolition company so for years we started to gather stuff so you know like a bevel glassed front door and and furniture that we pulled out of homes and you know all you know bricks for our chimney and slate for our roof we just gathered it we, we we rented a house that was larger than the tiny cabin that we rented and to store our stuff <laughs> yeah, and it was mainly because we were in love with long distance hiking because we had both done the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail and we wanted to keep hiking and then you know that turned into biking and uh, you know, if you're in debt and you need a full-time job, you yeah. know, then you're kind of tied down and you can't take three months off to go hiking or bike touring, you know, so that's the whole, that was the whole plan and it kind of worked out for the last 40 years, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what the, you know. We pretty much segued into long-distance cycling on the Continental Divide Trail, so we took our little kids across the Rockies, starting when they were one and three. And every year we went out, we bought our own llamas and we trailered them out and we, and we backpacked 500 miles as they were growing up. Then when we got to the Colorado-New Mexican border, um, the whole state of New Mexico, is the trail, the trail is pretty much on the road and water sources were 40 miles apart. So we couldn't do that because we could only do 10 miles a day with our kids and we couldn't carry water for the llamas. So we got tandem mountain bikes and trailers and we rode the Great Divide mountain bike trail through New Mexico because they had just opened it. It was like the first year. And then the first the first hour or two we did 27 miles. <laughs> Downhill and It was taking us two and a half like, days. This is really it. fun. And that was it. <laughs> then we started long distance cycling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Um, if I can backtrack a little bit, how did you two meet initially? 
Well, I hiked the Appalachian Trail in 78 and 79. I broke my foot, so I had to do it in two halves. So I moved to this area because I wanted to be near the trail. And I used to go through the town of Port Clinton, which is where the trail goes through, and look to see if there were any hikers there that I could do some trail magic to and feed them and let them have a shower. And this young man was there, and I brought him home. <laughs> He didn't stay. <laughs> he was young. He was only 19. <laughs> I had to wait till he grew up a little bit, and then we got together. He was on the Pacific Crest Trail then, and I was on the Pacific Crest Trail, not together. And he broke the same foot that I broke on the AT. And then we got together after that, and then hiked the second half of the trail together. Oh my goodness. Why, why the broken feet, though? How does that happen? Well, mine was... Uh, on the Pacific Crest, I was trying to do the whole thing, and it was like a wicked snow year. And uh, so we were on snow all the time, and it was all mushy, and we were... I put on crampons, and I probably shouldn't, and all the snow balled up under, and I just slid down. And I went into a tree well, the way that melts down, you know, yeah. and my foot hit the tree, and I fell down, like, upside down in the tree well with my foot up above and i was like oh my god so he broke his like, step on yeah him. so i had to hike 14 miles out to get to a road and you know i thought oh well but you don't year. yeah you don't think of broken bones though with like hiking usually <laughs> yeah. you know it's like biking they, they, yeah biking yeah yeah biking you could wreck a lot worse but I had a stress fracture because my partner left me and I was lonely because I'm an extrovert and most long distance hikers, I don't know about cyclists, but most hikers are introverts. Mm. So I was lonely so I tried to go fast because I was in like this void. There were a lot of hikers in front and behind and so, and the trail was overgrown a lot and so I kept tripping until I broke my foot from that mm. and then I had to go home. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I made, created what I needed was to go home yeah. and be with people. And then I went back the next year and did the second half. Okay. So you, you were willing to break your foot just for the yeah. purpose of this. <laughs> we, know we do what we need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. How, how was hiking the trail as a woman because, alone? Because I'm asked all the time, like, like, how, like from women that say like, is it safe for me to go on a bike trip by myself or something? And part of me thinks, I don't, I don't know how to answer this. Well, I wasn't alone very long. I made sure of that. The only time I was alone were those couple days where I managed to break my foot. Mm. Then I came home and healed and then went back and found other people to hike with. And then the second half I had a woman friend that I hiked the last thousand miles with, so. I made sure I wasn't alone very long. Okay, and same <laughs> on the Pacific Crest Trail too. Like. Oh no, I got, I got, I put out a, a notice for people, and I had up to thirteen people. We had this little, the, the chapter of my book is called Cindy Circus because there were so many different personalities. So the first first half of the PCT, I had a, a big group, and then the second half we were together. Yeah, but then you're looking back in the years where. Through hiking, right? Was there not... was there was like 12, 15 people that started it back then. Now there's yeah. they, they say there's four thousand that started yeah, the PCT. So the amount of people on the trail and those numbers were only it's only that high for the AT up until Cheryl Strade's Wild mm. book came out. Okay. So I mean, there's been a few incidents this year on both the AT and the PC and the Continental Divide of weirdos out there. And then there was a there it's was a murder still on the such AT. a small. Percentage yeah. that I wouldn't 
hesitate telling people to go out right. there by themselves. I mean, it's such a If I was an introvert, good, you know, there's a lot of women that hike by themselves, and I guess it cycle would be, too. The, the biggest thing is they'd be like this group of guys, like they flocking do, like, they on them, but Some girls have to hide. So you'd have to be pretty, you know, to hold your own, you know, you'd have to tell them, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, like I've biked around the world and, and, and I've been doing it for almost 20 years now. And in that 20 years, I've come across maybe like three solo women really? on bicycles. That's wow. It. You know, hundreds of solo men. Wow. But like, seriously, like so usually that, if I run into a woman, they're with their husband or the boyfriend or another So maybe girlfriend. Darren, maybe, maybe there's a lot more solo women hiking because you're not dealing with the public nearly as much. Yeah. So you're not interacting yeah. with people where you could feel uncomfortable or, and you're not in situations where, where, you know, they see you and they could, you know, do potential harm, you know, on the trail. It's only when you come into town and, and a trail town is, is used to hikers. So you probably are a whole lot more vulnerable by yourself on a bike. If you're a woman, how? What are some of the similarities and differences between hiking and biking? It's fast. It's that's the main difference. Well, it's still you want to think lightweight. You know, well, and it's still the same equip, basically the same camping equipment. I think it's. I think it's the food. Yeah, you always because have. like on the Great Divide mountain bike trail. We never had to carry more than two or three days worth of food, and yeah. and, we're and you slow. could live without a stove. And if you you know, because we like to camp, we like to have dinners at night when we're backpacking because it's like comfort food. But you know, if you're going into town and you can get a big burger and homemade French fries, there's just no way you'd eat mac and cheese. So, you know, that was great that we had fabulous food frequently. But Todd used to say when we did the New Mexico Connell Divide the Great Divide, that that we were basically going from, from one minute market or town to the next. <laughs> that's that's the goal, to get the Doritos and the soda when it's hot. And not that the in-between wasn't wonderful, but, but it, it's a different kind of goal. It isn't like a mountaintop, like when you're hiking or something like that. So, And every time we took a break when we needed to take a break, especially when we had the kids, when you have a need, you take a break. So we found ourselves taking breaks along the road, you know, in, in the ditch. So it wasn't always the best place to rest and have... Well, and you know, from hiking the Continental Divide, now cycling it, we were disappointed that we couldn't... Stay We up. knew we were on the ridges hiking and having the best alpine views. And now we were down in the for, on the Forest Service roads and... You really got to watch the potholes in the gravel, and when you do get to look around, you're looking up at the mountains where we were hiking. So that was one thing. That was frustrating. Although it's still gorgeous and it's still unbelievable camping and scenery, it isn't as high alpine. And, and see, that part was part of the problem too, is because when we came down, it got hot, mm. and we had no shade. 
So, and we knew that, you know, like in the San Juans on the Continental Divide Trail, you spend two weeks at 12,000 feet. Well, we spent 20 minutes. Yeah, you kind of climbed up, up to the pass yeah. and down the so, other and side. And we missed yeah. that. And it's more gorgeous up above, we think, because when you're down in the sagebrush, I mean, then, then you start looking for places to swim. So hmm. it's, it's, it's a different kind of mentality. And maybe if we weren't long distance hikers first, we wouldn't miss that. Because we didn't wouldn't know any better, but um, but yeah, we found it interesting that most of the people cycling, they came from the cycling world. thing, yeah. so they were like they were might the have been whole, road cyclists. The whole before they wilderness, did the, Great Divide. the whole wilderness. They, thing they didn't know how to do that. Yeah, freaked them out, and, and we that was like, so brand new to them. I mean, they had no, yeah. yeah, they didn't know. And for us, the the wilderness part was. That was like what we were used to. Yeah. It was just a cycling aspect, which is, you know, learning to fix a bike, which, right. you know. I really, we really like the Great Divide Mountain Bike oh, Trail. It's, it's great. In fact, yeah. we just took our nephews out backpacking and, and he was kind of whining because he wanted to be on a bike instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice sometimes to go fast and when things are a little slow or boring hiking, it's like, like that, like that CNO Canal, I cannot imagine hiking something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I, when I was in my early 30s, I started having this condition called piriformis syndrome. Your piriformis muscle is your hip rotator muscle, which is right where your your hip out sits on your backpack, mm. and which and that muscle sits on your sciatica nerve, and so I discovered. Uh, bike riding it helps that because it stretches it from bending over and it was the year the last year Darren we did 250 miles backpacking and I was in pain like the whole time and then we got to the Colorado border and we got on our bikes and in five minutes it disappeared yeah. so it's like okay so that's what we do we're gonna be long-distance cyclists now you know for the most part yeah you're not the first person to tell me a story very similar huh. to that. Seriously. It's 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 harder on your body to backpack because we never have a problem getting off. Yeah. yeah. Since We're, we like to walk anyway, you know, when on the Great Divide, we might we one I think one day we had to cross the Continental Divide five times, and we're talking twenty six mile climbs. And we don't know how to really go that light anyway, and so we walked. Sometimes we walk 12 miles, but I know there's some cyclists that would rather drop over dead before they would get <laughs> off their bikes. And I want to get out of the saddle. It's like, what is wrong with that? You're still yeah. exercising. And it's hard to push a loaded bike up a steep mountain. Yeah. Pushing a bike up sometimes for two hours, it's kind of good. And then you get, get on top and it's like fast going down, so you make up the time. Yeah. And your upper body really gets a lot stronger pushing a loaded mountain Plus bike. Plus you up. can look around, you can talk. So we don't have a problem <laughs> walking. Yeah. How has uh, like your adventures changed as you're getting older? Has it, have you like, you kind of mentioned like maybe the... the no, that was in know? my thirties and I'm no, 63. Okay. So, yeah, so that yeah. hasn't, that's not recent so at all. Has it, yeah. has it changed at all though in the last no. Years, we'll find out when we go back to backpacking <laughs> this summer. It's the first time we're going backpacking in like 30 well, years. Except last week. Well, I mean, we, we've done week-long trips. Like yeah. we did the whole uh, 
Tori's Del Piney and Patagonia, the whole circuit around there, and we 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 uh, we did all the way across Isle Royal in Lake Lake Superior, you know. So, and I took my veterans. I have a nonprofit for veterans. I took them out for a week, and we were fine. We just haven't done 400. We just don't know if we can get our packs that light because, you know, when I was on the AT, my pack weighed like 55, 60. When I was on the PCT, it weighed up to 70. And like in the White Mountains, if my pack was okay, we would throw in a five pound canned ham. So <laughs> I don't know if we've learned. We're hoping yeah. that we got smarter. <laughs> yeah. We don't like, you know, eh, here's a couple apples, just throw them in, you know? Yeah. But there's but there are like a lot of sixty year olds that can't oh, walk yeah. up a flight of stairs. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well I don't feel any different and than I do when since I was thirty. There's a million old cyclists and hikers. There's seventy year old Oh hikers yeah. There and we've seen more older people on bikes like on some of these rail trails that will stop and ride. Like we have a friend in Michigan in Traverse City and they have a hundred miles of paved trails there, and I, like everyone is like seventy and eighty up there that rides, and they're fast. Where were we just? And they were yelling at me because we were. Oh, we did the Capitol Trail. It goes from Richmond, Virginia, to Jamestown, which mm -hmm. is the historic capital, for fifty-two miles, and we did forty-five without stopping. And I just stopped all the way over on the right to take a picture, and some geezer went by you know pissed that I wasn't completely off the trail because they're 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 speeding I they look like they're all they're all training for something yeah yeah but no we don't feel any different I, know, I guess no, I, I think, guess the people think we're old but we don't feel that way but so. what's the secret then why do you not feel any different and other people my grandmother are. lived to be 102 and she just got sleepy and tired and went to bed and that was it and she said stop moving and you'll die yeah. so yeah that's a whole thing i mean we, i work hard every day my physical stuff all all the time you're going walking every day i mean my and, bike. and we work all day long which is sort of like hiking where you hike all day you cycle all day it's you know it just builds up your stamina and and i think people just feel that they need to they need to relax and they need to treat themselves and relax and sit around yeah, the and creature and, comforts and we and i mean we, we don't just, even live like that anyway yeah, we yeah. just want to keep doing more so <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the whole thing is uh keep keep active and and keep i'm not a big sitter i hate to sit anyway so yeah i would just interview this one veteran for my new I, i'm writing a new book about using long distance trails to heal from their war trauma mm -hmm. and this one guy he's he's like 52 and he's just a beast the way he moves and he goes i have two speeds fast and stop <laughs> and that's the way he is he stops about 10 o'clock and then he falls asleep no matter where he's at because <laughs> that's the first time he stopped yeah. but i think that's probably that's probably the the secret is just to not stop moving mm -hmm. but it feels good to move i think you know yeah what about you two as a couple? Like, how how do you get along on your trips? Well, well, it, <laughs> I we discover new things every year after thirty-five years. It's like, well, it's backpacking and cycling. It's like, I a lot of times I want to go faster, and the whole key is then I take more weight to try to get her lighter 
So He's been can... spending our whole married life trying to get me to go faster. <laughs> and no and matter, I don't want to. No matter how much I take, it doesn't work. But I go as fast as I want to. And sometimes I'm fast, but sometimes I'm not. But I have other issues. Like I get altitude bothers me more than him. And I get, um, I get hot faster so then I get, could get heat exhaustion faster and he's like you know what's wrong how come we can't keep going like we had a little issue last last year because every year something happened on the Great Divide Darren like one year the first year he doesn't like to drink water unless it's freezing cold <laughs> so he gets dehydrated so while we're on the Great Divide mountain bike trail he wakes me up and he goes my heart's going crazy and I put my hand on his chest and it was stopping then it was going fast then it was going slow and I go whoa our daughter's in Zambia you know yelling at us on the phone on WhatsApp to get to the hospital and so they were like hooked him up all day to try to figure out what was wrong with it. it was just low electrolytes and dehydration okay the next year I got bit by some kind of insect the night before we left. I was bike riding, and by the time we got to Montana, it was so big and swollen. I had staph and cellulitis and a high fever. They put me in the hospital in Montana. They stabbed it to see if any pus came out. Then they put me on doxycycline in case it was a tick, and I wasn't allowed to go in the sun. Well, here we're going across the Great Divide, uh, the, the, the <laughs> basin, which is desert Ooh, for 100 desert. miles. I'm getting two-degree burns on my mouth. I walk into a pharmacy, and the pharmacist said, your lips, are, you're going to lose your lips. You have second-degree burns. And I said, what does that even look like, losing your lips? And I go, okay, <laughs> we're done. Then, the, then last year, our daughter was in India on a Fulbright for a year, and I went to visit her, and I got sick. And I got, the, you know, the shits. And it w I got better, and then it came back, and I got better, and it came back, and Sierra once again said, go to the doctor. So the night before we left, I got a stool sample, and everything was, they, they tested like four things. Everything's cool, 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 and then we left on the bike trip. And then I, then I start getting these, these texts from the, from the Department of, of Health, the U.S. Department of Health. You know, they wanted to, like, quarantine me. And they said I had E. coli. And they said, you have to wash your hands for five minutes every time you take. I said, I'm in the desert. You know, it's not going to have that using my drinking water. Yeah, we are quarantined out here in the middle of nowhere. So every time we go out and something, you know, people say, it's like, so why don't you quit? It's like, you don't just quit because you have E. coli or whatever. You know, you just keep going because it's a long way from home and you put a lot of work into getting out there so you just go through it yeah. but um, so we have that conflict that you know how come you aren't going as fast and it's like because because I'm ready to throw up or, or whatever so you know the karma comes back to him sooner or later <laughs> yeah but it sounds like part of the secret is just being tough you maybe just have different levels of toughness well you know? Or something. I don't or, ever feel too tough out well, there. Well, you just said how you. I know, but that, yeah, I still didn't feel. But, I never felt tough. I don't feel tough at all. But compared to the average person, I guess. I think but yeah, compared to him, I don't feel tough. No, heat bothers you and stuff. But as soon as you, the it cools down and the end of the day is there, it's like, well, I don't even feel tired. I don't ever know? feel tired at the end of the day. I've never taken an Advil ever on any kind of bike trip or backpacking trip, so it isn't like I'm in pain yeah. and I don't get tired. I just don't go as fast as him. Hmm. So I'm writing a new book about circling back to the divide 20, 25 years later. 
and and it's like revisiting like how we are getting along with each other now because when we were out there before our kids were little and we were taking care of them so now our adult children come out and and they're like saying like mom and dad you know I'm sick, you know, dad, take care of her. And so it's, 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 so everything is different now. And you'd think, Darren, I don't know if you're married or not, but, but you'd think that once you figure it out, it's the same for a while, and it's not. It keeps changing. So that's good, you know, because then you learn, okay, so now this is going on, and how do we, how do we learn to get along with each other? And how, how, how do we be happy together on... Because trips like that are stressful. Yeah. I mean, normal life and normal relationships are challenging and then you go and try to cross the continental divide on a bike and you know there's more challenges so it's really you know like the arena of life just intensified so i mean we do fine we like each other a lot after 36 years but you know we have discussions yeah what about <laughs> traveling with kids um, oh. What are some of the secrets for doing that? I think my kids are easier than my husband to deal with out there. Well, the whole thing I, I found with the kids thing was as a solo hiker or something, you can always push yourself and go fast if you're cold. And the thing is with kids, you have to be really warm and be because you got to deal with your kids. So you can't go run into town or something you have to you can't push like hypothermia yeah like you need to be totally have your act together yeah. yourself so you can take care of the kids and make sure they're okay yeah so we, we used know, to push we, the envelope more before we had kids right. yeah so you know you know you like, I, like you know we would stop and it's like oh i can't button my buttons i must now this is hypothermia <laughs> <laughs> but you could never do that because yeah. we had to have our act together for the kids but you know they were they were never unhappy out there because we always took such good care of them. I mean we never even used a band aid the whole Continental Divide Trail. So it, it, the kids weren't hard. It was you know he well, would he would have a hard time because it was would, a hard trip. Well, it wasn't easy, but but it wasn't because of the kids. The kids no. made it more work. You know we had a hundred diapers with us cloth diapers the first year so that was a lot to deal with because Bryce used to crap about 10 in the 12 middle times of the mountains, a day you know in Colorado we you'd have to in the middle of a lightning storm stop and change, change his diaper, diaper with a golf <laughs> yeah. umbrella and with then a you six got six inch spike you know things you got to take the raincoat off and the he had, to, he had six, seven way and layers way of clothing and you, you'd to get, get to his diaper. You'd get down there and you'd find out it was a fart and then you'd have to button it all up again and pack up and you know, it's like, oh my God, it's... I just started sticking my finger in and washing it because it was easier. Yeah. <laughs> Is this real or not? <laughs> but the kids, you know, it just changed their whole entire future life. You just didn't go this fast, you know. I think our average was 10 miles a day, which is kind of slow. But for hiking, that's not bad, you know. Before you know it, we you We had to stop every hour, but, you know, they played. Yeah. Slopped in creeks, climbed on rocks, you know, ate. Yeah. They had fun. Yeah. So talk about your books a little bit. So my background's fine arts painting. I'm a landscape painter. And then when I hiked the AT 40 years ago, I just kept a journal and drew. And then I was advised to write a book and about it because there weren't hardly any women back then. So I wrote and illustrated my first book called A Woman's Journey on the Appalachian Trail. It's been in print for 38 years straight. 
and then Heights PCT and illustrated that one. And so I have seven published books. I, I illustrated four of them and now my son Bryce is illustrating them. And the newest one that just came out last fall is called The World is Our Classroom, How One Family Used Nature and Travel to Shape an Extraordinary Education. And there's a, a lot in it. There's about long distance cycling because we did a lot with them and learned a lot while we were. And what's the overall premise of the book? It's, it's, it's how, it's, it's for parents, grandparents, or anyone that wants a bigger life to try to figure out how to disconnect from technology and, and have uh, more adventures, find ways to be in the natural world and travel. And so it's mostly about travel and adventure um, and, and learning along the way. Because I realized we were, my kids were learning all these values and virtues while we were doing it, like perseverance and empathy and you know courage and things like that that you're not going to learn inside four walls of a school. I mean, anyone would learn it if they go out and do adventures and travel and stuff like that. Plus, it, it gives you the sense of understanding other people and other cultures when you do it around the world. Our kids went to 15 countries before they went to college. and. We never stayed less than a month. Like we did the Camino de Santiago when they were 11 and 13 or something like that. It was their first long distance bike ride on their own without a tandem. Mm. So it's not a book just for like homeschool. Oh no, or no, like no. Because my kids were in school for seven years when we always, I, we took them out. Like we traveled mm -hmm. 70, they missed 70 days a year when they were in public school. So. But yeah, I have one friend who's who doesn't have any kids, and he goes, "Do you think I, it would help me?" I go, "It would help anyone that wants a bigger life, you know, because we were learning alongside them. So it isn't like it's for to teach kids; it's to it's to open your own mind to the bigger world out there." Hmm. But it's a big part is getting the kids out in nature and out in in the world rather than. Broaden their minds so that they can accept Sitting people. looking at a screen, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, get yeah. out and hike and bike and paddle and yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about what I do with my website and stuff is getting people that have never done any outdoorsy thing and hearing their stories. You know, getting them out on the road and hearing like that they were setting up their tent for the first time, <laughs> you know, and like the crazy stories that just happened just from that alone, you know, yeah. or sleeping outside for the first time ever, yeah. and, and they've never done it before, you know, yeah. for for you guys who've spent so much time outside, and I've spent a lot of, I've spent half my life sleeping in a tent probably, so <laughs> it's normal for me, yeah. but for so many people, something like that. I know, you hear people, they go like, I'm, I, I'm done with sleeping on the ground, it's like, the air mattresses that they have today that are this big are so comfortable. Yeah. I mean, half the beds that you would get in the motel aren't as comfortable as an air mattress for backpacking. <laughs> so it's like, what's so bad about sleeping in a tent? Yeah. I also have a blog yeah. that I've been writing for about, I don't know, 10 years. And I just pretty much, there's a lot in there about, about life in general. Um, it's called The Cindy Ross Traveler. It's probably 300 different pieces that I've written um, and there's different categories but that's a good way to learn more about us there's a lot in there about him that he doesn't even know about <laughs> he doesn't read it I'll see friends and they're like what does Todd say about that last blog which was really hysterical but it's like he didn't see it <laughs>
Now he'll go read it, maybe. No, <laughs> no. I think <laughs> I've read too <laughs> It's good I don't need his support, huh? It's, it's because when I come come inside to read, I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. Done for the day. Since my audience is a bicycle tourist, what advice or tips would you give someone who's like new to bike touring that's wanting to do it for the first time? What would, what I would, would I would pick something really really easy and safe. Like we did the CNO Canal when Sierra was uh, one and a half and I was six months pregnant, and it's 187 miles, which like we talked before is slightly boring, but every five miles we had a water pump and we went swimming in the Shenandoah River and tons of good places to eat and then if you had to bail there's a train that parallels it so that you could just hop on the train to get back to your car and so it was easy you didn't have to deal with traffic because that freaks out a lot of people for a, a long bike ride it's like oh my god how do i navigate traffic and and it is disconcerting sometimes when you know people are right here on you so a trail like that is a good way to start to, to learn how to bike pack without having to deal with the traffic because you know i I we or we're not group people, so to go with, you know, and but we we've never done any kind of uh, like assisted like sag wagon, yeah. so we just can do always what we want to do. We stop when we want to stop. We go if, if we're not tired and it's not dark. We just keep going, and you can't do that in a group. So I would advise, and a part of what we love about this is that we're in charge and it's the freedom and independence. So I wouldn't tell people to go with a group. I would. Find a friend or two and and pick an easy trail like that that's safe and and you know hard to, hard to screw up on and do something like that first. Okay. What do you think? What's your tip? Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> other than that, I just know how to change a tire. It, things don't break too quick on bikes. I guess if you got old junkers, that's the other thing. A lot of our bikes we did trips the first few years. We didn't have big 20, 25 expensive, year old bikes. Yeah, we didn't have big expensive bikes. I mean, the ones we got for the Divide were pretty nice, tough that bikes. That was the first time we got decent bikes on But whole other life. than that, you can get by on bikes at, you know. $250 bike. <laughs> yeah. And you can do stuff. I mean, they won't last forever. and they. Ours lasted 20 years. We used to pack yeah. them up and ship them over to <laughs> Ireland and rode for two months over there. I mean, nice bikes are better, but. You know, if it, if money is an issue, I wouldn't let that stop you. Mm -mm. You know, you, we started out with you know, cheap panniers, and you get tired of them bouncing off and stuff, so you get better panniers <laughs> the next time. But the cheap ones at least get you out there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and don't wait if you have kids. You know, stick them in a trailer. Just put your whole car carrier right in you know Sierra was sat in her little car seat and we had all kinds of stuffed animals and toys on pieces of parachute cord in case she threw it overboard she just reined it in and she was one and she did you know 200 miles and she was happy as could be yeah you could even do I think we've done some bike trips where we pulled kid carrier kid carrier uh, the trailers and stuffed it full with their sleeping bags yeah after the pads. kids got so older yeah if you don't have a, a good bike with racks and panniers and you have an old kid carrier you can tow that behind your, you and at least get out there and play around and experiment with it before you invest in mm -hmm. 
bikes and good panties. So many people, it seems, Darren, are the first thing they do is, is, is the gear. Equipment. And it's like, and toss the, you know, that was if the, you don't get least. out there, we had one friend who wanted to do the Great Divide Mountain Bike Trail with us. He spent like months watching videos <laughs> on how to pike, pack a bike. And yeah. I said, Bob, just go ride your bike and see if you like it. Well, he never came with us because he was spending all this time trying to like become an expert and what gear to buy. And he kept sending me links like, I'm not going to watch that stuff. I'm just going to go do it. Because <laughs> it's easier to watch a video and yeah. you know, buy stuff than right. it is to actually yeah. do it sometimes, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, before it gets dark, tell me one more time where people can learn more about you if they want to read your books. or. Um, I would go to cindyrosstraveler.com. Um, I have a website called theworldisourclassroombook.com. But but my website, Cindy Ross Traveler, will, can take you to well, every place. Okay, great. 